0: welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel C70. It's bat at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We are at the end of October. We took a week off. Probably could have taken this week off, to be fair, but I was getting a little antsy because I haven't done a show in like two weeks because me and Musial's been off too. So, Tara's humoring me, um, so I we'll don't get terribly rusty. Um, and, and we're trying to figure out what to talk about. So we're going to start with the World Series that's going on. And and Tara, it seems to be, and I, you know, I haven't watched much of it. I haven't watched any of it because that's just the way I get to be. You haven't watched very much, but it seems like it's kind of a, a really interesting back and forth affair that I don't think anybody is a clear a clear winner here yet.
1: No. And, you know, it's so interesting because this series, when it ended up being Dodgers versus Rays, I don't know if anybody else was like this, but I kind of went Dodgers versus Rays. Really? <laughs> Not necessarily because I didn't expect it to be a good series, but just because eh, I don't know, it just, you know, it didn't quite feel like whether it was Rays Braves or, or you know, whatever it was that would have right. been compelling for a different reason. But this has been a really interesting series and I think it's fascinating to see kind of the team that's supposed to win taking on the team that wants everyone to know that they are capable of winning and they're doing, they're doing kind of the same thing in different ways as far as changing the game with one swing or with one play. I mean I'm watching game five right now as we're recording this and Margot turned a stolen base at second into the tying run at third with nobody out because the, there was a you know misplay on the throw down to second base. So those kinds of things, the races have seemingly taken advantage of and the Dodgers of course come in with all the firepower in the world. So they're making spectacular plays as well, getting big moments from different guys each night. And I don't know that game, uh, that Game uh, four, I guess, was mm-hmm. uh, the, the ending of that game and quite honestly, not just the ending, but the back and forth in that game has to be one of the most fascinating and exciting games in a World Series where my team wasn't involved at all <laughs> that I can remember because it was just so you know, punch for punch, the excitement and then the letdown and the misplay and then the recovery. And then, of course, that ending is unlike anything I've ever seen. And, you know, at the heart of it, Randy Rosarena, of course. So, (laughs) man, as far as World Series goes, this might not have been the headliner because of the, you know, everyone keeps talking about how the Rays don't have any, uh, you know, household name type players. Well, some of them are, potentially becoming household name type players. And that's really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, and I don't, obviously we're going to get to Randy a little bit in a little bit later. But, you know, I wonder, you know, it's been, as I'm sure has been mentioned numerous times, you know, 32 years since the Dodgers have won the World Series. And when you think of teams that haven't won the World Series in three decades, you don't immediately jump to the Dodgers, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is a team that has been there so many times that has has been a very good team for so long you just it's very weird almost that they haven't if they get down late in this series like if they lose tonight say or if it goes to a game seven is there do you think there's that extra pressure on them because of that history that's there that 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 they really almost have to win um whereas tampa bay i mean tampa bay won one not i mean they're right there they've been there i mean at least Uh, I don't know that they have that same kind of weight on their shoulders.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. Two things that come to mind while you're talking about that. I'm going to say them both now so that you can remind me what the other one was when I forget. (laughs) Um, First of all, the difference in kind of the sustained excellence and the, you know, momentary, the single season of success between these two teams. I want to come back to that in a second. Um, But in in terms of the pressure in a potential game seven, that's so interesting you bring that up because I mentioned that to someone right at the start of this series. And I just said, you know, we're kind of looking at these two teams, looking at how things might go and, and who might step up. And I asked if this game goes to a game seven, who has the advantage? And I don't know that we really came to a clear conclusion on that because there's so many factors of how the rest of the series went. You know, if the Dodgers were up big and they blew a lead or if they, you know, so there's a, it's not really a, a question you can answer simply. But I do think it's interesting to think about it in terms of what you just said. And I do think in a game seven, I don't know that it's necessarily more pressure to win than they would have been feeling in any other game in this series. But it feels to me like all the pressure in the world is on the shoulders of the Dodgers because they've been so close and just haven't gotten there. They haven't been able to get that one for Clayton Kershaw or, you know, for Dave Roberts or for whomever it is. Um, And so I think in a game seven scenario, if it gets to that point, and quite honestly, in any clincher-type game, if the Dodgers win tonight and have the chance to close it out, um, I think all the pressure is on them, which works right into the hands of the Rays, I think, who feed off of kind of that underdog mentality.
0: Yeah, that's very possible. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that... I'm sure the players... And, I mean, obviously, the the players have changed. There's, no, there's nobody been in that organization probably at all that's been there the whole 32 years, especially since Ben Scully's retired. Um, But still, there's that, there's that weight, that history there. I mean, the Cardinals have that as well when they, you know, they know what has happened in the past. They know what's expected, you know, to get to the playoffs or whatever the case, we've talked about that before in the, in the, years that they don't make it so yeah i i think there's a lot of pressure there now whether that's enough to overcome you know whatever talent or if it really is on them but if it came down to the to the ninth inning and a, a play to be made or not made you wonder how how that would work out okay your second point you have sustained excellence
1: right this is where i was going to tie in the cardinals because you know technically that is what we talk about on the show most of the time Um, when they
0: do something (laughs) when they
1: do something and right now they're doing nothing so it's hard to talk about them but i have a way to do it because i'm curious and i i think i know what you would say sorry another crazy play just happened in this game uh so i paused hesitated um I'm curious what you would say. I think I would know the answer, but I saw this conversation going around on Twitter ahead of the world series. I believe I think Matthew Trueblood brought this up in terms of the Chicago Cubs and whether or not the Theo Epstein years were a success or a failure more or less. And if he listens to this and says that's not what I said, I'm sorry for misinterpreting your words, but it gets to my point. So just let me have this.
0: <laughs> it was pretty close to what he said. let's let's be fair.
1: okay, all right, but the the point that I'm connecting here is there was a comment made that i'd rather have the dodgers last 10 years than the cubs last 10 years or or whatever the the comparison might have been because of that sustained excellence because you expect every year that you're not only going to make the postseason but that you have a really good shot at a world series team and there's that level of success there's that kind of success right Mm -hmm. And then there's the Tampa Bay Rays, who, like you said, have won it in relatively recent history, but have also been real terrible in the meantime for a lot of those years in between. And the Cardinals kind of fall into that Dodgers category. Now, arguably, (laughs) we could not compare apples for apples here because that's not the point. But the idea of that sustained, this is a team that you expect to make the postseason every year. That's a, a, that is a level of success. It may not be enough intention for success for a lot of Cardinals fans who are ready for that next championship. But it is an interesting dynamic to see the Dodgers, to see a team like the Cardinals, to know what the expectations are on them year after year in comparison to a team like the Tampa Bay Rays or, you know, a couple of years ago, the Chicago Cubs, and realize, okay, they won it, that's great, kind of put all their eggs in one basket and now they're not going to be able to sustain that success. Do you trade the decades of, you know, relative success, however you want to define that, uh for the single championship every now and then? And I'm curious. I think I know what you would say, but I'm curious to uh to hear your your take on that.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I I've said this before that for me baseball is the daily game right and i would much rather be happy at the end of the day than not happy at the end of the day so and when the cardinals win i'm going to be more likely to be happy at the end of the day and so i would rather see them you know i'd rather see them win 90 plus games every year and have be a contending team and and have a chance for a title <coughs> excuse me here and there versus you know, years of futility. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what the Astros went through before they made it legally or not to, <laughs> to their status and you know, what the Cubs went through and the teams that have, you know, the tanking that we talk about um, I would, that would be miserable. I think, I don't, yeah. I don't know that a championship would make up for all of that. Um, especially, I mean, again, like what the Cubs were trying to do, what the Cubs thought they were doing of having this tanking, then they're going to build up and they're going to be that contender every year. They're going to win one or two championships. They're going to be deep in October all the time. It didn't actually work out that way. And it seems to have closed that window a little bit. Um, But then there's the, there's the hybrid method right which is what the Boston Red Sox do um, whereas they win a title and then two years later they're terrible and then they win another title and then a couple years later they're terrible uh-huh. uh, and it goes back and forth so maybe that's the best of both worlds somehow I don't I don't know but for me I think yeah I would rather have I'd rather have be where the Dodgers are and where the Cardinals have been the, the team that you know, you never, they may occasionally have a bad year, but you don't expect it every year you go into it and and things may happen and injuries and stuff like that. And they find up, wind up at 500 or below or right around that area. But going into the season or in the off season, you expect them to be a contending team. And more often than not, they're going to fulfill that. That's what I would rather.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that also leads into what the Cardinals do in this offseason, not to, you know, steal your transition thunder, but um, it, it's, it. it's, it's the next piece of that puzzle, though, right? It's, it's fine mm-hmm. to say, like the Cardinals and the Dodgers, look, we define our success as more than just championships. So we want to be contenders every year. We want to not have those down years where two or three seasons in a row, you're looking at a 100 lost teams that's great and I think I prefer that approach but the Dodgers have whether they win this title or not have made very clear attempts to get past that hump of just making it to the postseason and that's what the Cardinals have yet to show any sort of urgency to do is to to go okay not only do we want to play we want you to take us seriously and whether the Dodgers win or not everyone takes them seriously. Everyone knows that they're not just a contending team, but they might be the best team in baseball on any given night. And that's what the Cardinals have yet to do. So I just, I guess as an aside or an addendum to the whole, the Cardinals and the Dodgers are both really successful thing is that, If you continue that comparison, the Dodgers have continued to make moves to get them past just getting to the postseason, where the Cardinals really haven't in the last couple of years, Paul Goldschmidt notwithstanding. So that, to me, is where you can then make that separator. You can say, we we prefer the sustained success model, (laughs) but if the sustained success isn't still getting us to championships, then we have to do something else in that process as well, or you just decide to announce to the world that just making it to the postseason is good enough. And I don't know any fan base <laughs> that is going to uh to take kindly to that sort of philosophy.
0: No, but then again, most fan bases aren't really excited about a uh, two hundred, three hundred million dollar payroll claiming out <laughs> the first round either. Sure. Which is you know, which is what the Dodgers did last year, right? I mean they lost in the first round to the to the Nationals. And granted the Nationals were the the, the team that, I, hopefully I'm remembering this right, I think that I am, uh, that they lost to the Nationals. But, um, you know, Nationals wound up winning the World Series, but still, this was a team that was supposed to go deep into the playoffs and didn't. Um, so there is a, a bit of a balancing act there, but you're right. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers have won the National League West for I think since it existed back in the <laughs> 60s or something. I mean, I feel it's it's fun. No it's, one
1: else has ever won the National League West.
0: Um, but it's, it's what, 10, 12 years or something in a row something that they went yeah. out there? And yet, this offseason, they go out and trade for Mookie Betts. Right. Um, and again, Los Angeles, different different markets, different financial situations and stuff like that. But the fact is, they didn't settle they went out and, and made themselves better, even though they were already good. Um, it's like, well, two years ago when we were having this discussion, the Cardinals did trade for Paul Goldschmidt. But we continued to say they should go out and yeah. then sign Bryce Harper because it it's putting your foot down. It's going over the top. It's it's making you have the best chance of going deep in postseason instead because. of just helping everything works out.
1: Because let's not pretend the Dodgers couldn't have made it to the World Series without Mookie Betts this year. Like, they were going to be good anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if they had come back with exactly the team that they had last year, there are still good chances that they would have again won the NL West. Although, you know, the Padres might have liked to think they had something to say about that. But they probably still would have won the division. They probably still would have looked like the team to beat in the National League. And you add Mookie Betts on top of that. Did they have to do that? No. Would they have been able to argue that they put together a successful team and had a successful season without Mookie Betts? Sure. But they add that to the puzzle and all of a sudden, whether it's the team itself or the fan base or other teams that go, oh... (laughs) great, you were already good, now you're better. That's one more guy we have to figure out how to get out. And I don't know, it sounds simple to say it that way, and obviously we can sit in our own homes and talk about it and critique it and not actually have to uh, <laughs> figure out how to make it work. I understand that. But it is. it seems like we're in the same situation that we were last year and the year before that, and really the year before that, where the Cardinals have good pieces, they don't have great highlights. And that's what seems to be missing as far as making them that team. Look, we can talk about the Rays as a team that doesn't have those superstars, right? They have a ton of talent on that team, regardless of whether or not you know their names. And we can talk about how small market teams can still win. They can put it together at the right time. They can get hot when they, whatever. Yes, we all know those things happen. But in order to kind of stake your claim whether it's in the division where the Cubs clearly are on the, the down slope of what they thought was going to be a long lasting upward trajectory, or if it's because the brewers kind of traded off all of their parts last year and put some pieces together, but you know, never really got that rolling this year or because the pirates still aren't any good. The Cardinals have a great opportunity to stake their claim in a way that no one can deny, you know, so that no one can go, Oh, Oh, that's a really interesting move that could work out for them. But instead it's, Oh, they want to win the division by like nine games. I get it. And that's the difference in kind of that next step up from just getting there to what you want to do. Once you are there that I don't know. I don't know if that's in the Cardinals playbook at this point.
0: Yeah. And I think you were talking about the way the Dodgers, you know, could have come into this, and I think this season kind of points out. And it, granted, it's a it's a small season. You don't know what it would have been like with 162 games, but the fact that the Padres finished just six games behind them, and for a while there, really gave them a scare. Yeah, um, it just kind of goes to prove that you can't just say look and say none of these teams are going to, you know, we're better than all these teams, which I mean, the Cardinals can't say that about the Cubs anyway, right now right? Um, being that they haven't, but even if so, you never know when that, you never know when the Reds are going to make a step up. You know, and we've seen them try to improve their team over the last couple of years. You don't know when you're going to have, you know, a bit of an injury or a team's going to have a couple of guys have a career year. You've got to kind of build in some insurance at times. So the Cardinals haven't been able to do that. You're right. And, You know, if we start talking about what they can do this winter, I have trouble seeing them doing anything like that this year. I mean, with the financial situations and the the way that they are, I mean, I don't know that there's a huge, you know, I don't know that even in the best case scenario, if there's a really great bat on the free agent market to get, but there just doesn't seem like there's any chance they're going to bring anybody in that has any kind of salary with them.
1: Yeah, I feel like this entire offseason is going to be like that. There are going to be yeah. a lot of teams that are like, uh, right. we don't really know what's going to happen here. So we're we're good. And that's going to be frustrating because as fans, you want to see movement. You want to see excitement. We want to have something to talk about so that we're not <laughs> continuing to say, well, they really should add somebody for like the 75th podcast in a row. Right. Um, but it's true. This offseason is going to be weird. This offseason is going to be different, and there are going to be fewer opportunities to make moves. One, because there aren't that many kind of game changing players that appear to be available. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, because, yeah, this season was 60 games, and a lot of money did not get made this year. And we all know that they ha- have lots and lots and lots of money, these owners do. But, um, Any business owner who doesn't make much money the year before isn't going to, you know, be real keen on upping the payroll the next season. So that's all part of the process. And it's why I agree. I don't think there's going to be anything particularly interesting done this year. But it also is just going to open the door, not really open the door. It's going to shine a bright light on the same criticism, the same questions about how much do you really want a championship in St. Louis, or how much do you want to be able to say, we put so many people in the seats, which they couldn't do this year. We don't know if they'll be able to do next year. So they have to have something else to hang their hat on at the end of a season, um, you know, where you your biggest question marks are are you going to re-sign Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina which don't get me wrong i adore the two of them and hope that they're cardinals next year but they're not going to be the game changer that pushes you over the edge no.
0: no especially not where they're at right now i mean you know where yadi is yeah. <laughs> it would take oh well, it would take a super year for him to be really league average hitter by OPS plus. I mean, not that he doesn't bring more to the game and, and all that and not that he can't be an asset, but he's not a superstar and Adam Wainwright, you know, we, we love Adam, but we just don't know. I mean, right. I mean, there's, he's probably not going to win a Cy Young. I, I know that I don't want to tell him that because he probably wouldn't believe me, but um,
1: well, and as much as he might think that he could win a silver slugger, he's still yeah. not going to bat third and drive in 100 runs right so even if adam wainwright in 2021 is playing with the cardinals and has his most valuable season ever yeah. it still doesn't solve the
0: offensive problems Yeah. No, it does not and uh, yeah i don't
1: unless I he don't. becomes like a left fielder or something all of a sudden out of the blue and well, then... yeah
0: because cardinals don't have enough outfielders
1: so right just... no no no
0: but that, but that kind of ties back to the problem, right? The Cardinals have all these outfielders. They have all these different parts and pieces, but none of them have stepped up to be much more than, you know, there's a few that are above average, but there's a few that are a little below average and a few, a lot of them that are right about average. Yeah. You need, and we've talked about this so many times, and you've got to have, you know, you look back at two thousand and four when you had you know Pujols and Roland and Edmonds, and then you had Edgar Renteria, and you know you had Yachty coming up, and you had you know you had all stars. Okay. Um, you know for whatever the all star voting and all that kind of matters, it's still good to have people that are at least you know in that conversation. And the Cardinals right now, if they. Had, I mean, if they'd had an all-star game this year, what? Paul, Paul Goldschmidt goes probably, right?
1: Yeah, and last year, Paul DeYoung went because the team had to have somebody. Yeah. I
0: mean, <laughs> was it it wasn't because
1: they had a team full of all-stars.
0: And I hate to be the the pity team.
1: Right. I Nobody mean, wants that.
0: I, I appreciate the fact that every team has to have a representative. I do. I really do. Because I think every team should have, you know, should be at this game. But you hate it when your team is, when it only has one, for sure. But then it's like, and if you didn't have this rule, you wouldn't be here. You know, I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. there was, it was different when it was years of Ozzie Smith being the only Cardinal. Because it's Ozzie Smith, you know, if he's going to be there no matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when it, it's Paul DeYoung because, well, we don't really need another first baseman. And, <laughs> um you know, Yachty wants to run the game if he comes, so uh, we'll just we'll just take um, You know, and it not- goes
1: back to look. We can we can spread this around wherever we want to, right? Some of it is on the performance of the players. Some of it is likely on the coaching staff. Some of it is on the talent evaluation side of things. We've talked about this before. I have said for a long time that I think the Cardinals tend to overvalue their own prospects. But I've come to a, a slightly different conclusion in that I'm just not confident in their evaluation of their own prospects. Whether that's holding on to Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Lane Thomas. And sending Randy Rosarena to be the uh, the the leader in single uh single postseason hits. I just saw a graphic yeah. flash up on the screen. 27 hits in the postseason, which is the most all time for one postseason. I mean, that's the guy that you wish you would have had. Now, again, we can have this conversation about Rosarina all day. The Cardinals clearly saw some value there and took advantage of that to trade it in return for value on the pitching side. But the the thing that stands out to me, the red flag there is okay, great, you get more pitching but you still need to score runs. (laughs) So there's still an evaluation issue on how do you go about figuring out who the talent is that's going to be able to make adjustments and move forward. And some of that's, uh, you know, a guess it's anybody's guess, right? Who's going to end up developing at the major league level, but Mm -hmm. that there should be people who are better at it than I am. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would think if there's not, I'd like to get paid more. Um, but there's something there's some combination of all of those things happening is my point to where you see Randy Rosarena, who admittedly did not play like this in the regular season, um, but has turned into a superstar almost overnight. And we'll see what he does next year. We'll see what he does five years from now. Maybe this is a David Freeze type thing and he never plays like this again. That's possible. We don't know. Maybe Matthew Libertor becomes a, a multiple-time Cy Young winner. Maybe that works out in their favor, but it still kind of leads us back to this idea that they've had this whole slew of outfielders and none of them that they've kept have done them much good. And that's you know not a, a knock to... Harrison Bader, who's good at what he does. It's not a knock to uh, Gold Glove nominee Tyler O'Neill in left field. It's just the reality of those guys are not offensive juggernauts. And that is the thing that this team continues to sorely miss season in and season out.
0: Yeah. And And I feel
1: like you could play back what I said at the end of last season and fit it into that spot. And you would never have known that it was a year later.
0: Well... The Randy of postseason hit thing. Maybe. Well, that, that part. But, probably. yeah. <laughs> um, and, again, I, yeah, I, I don't – because I I don't – and then I think this gets back to not only valuation of players, but how they're being, you know, trained. No. You know, Luke Voigt, of course, is one that everybody looks at. Uh, You know, and I think we've talked about it before. Luke Boyd is definitely, uh, not entirely, but a lot of product of being able to hit Yankee Stadium. Um, And he made some adjustments when he went to um, New York. Randy Rosarena was a guy that Tampa Bay was very high on and, you know, was willing to pay the price for, um, you know, could the Cardinals have. I think maybe if the Cardinals see Tampa Bay coming after a player, maybe you should start maybe reevaluating things yeah. a little bit um but what you
1: do is you you call tampa bay and say hey who do you want and then yeah. you go cool thanks that's who i'm keeping
0: yeah that's about <laughs> what it is. but you also wonder i mean we saw it last year you know and a lot of people have mentioned this on on twitter this year as well that you know mike schilt didn't play Randy Alvarez or Arena when he had a chance to yeah. last year very much. I mean, to the point that, you know, it was in that point of time when we're complaining about five outfielders on the roster and Tommy Edmonds out in the outfield, you know, I mean, yeah. what's, you know, what's going on here? Uh-huh. Um, you know, if, if they had played him more, would they have seen uh, enough to, to want to keep him around this year? But also, I mean, in, I was reading the article today. You probably saw it as well um, because you're, you, know, you have a very close tie to the Ryan Sheriff's story, um, <laughs> breaking it as you did. Um, but, you know, he's talking about how, how much he learned, how much his game developed when he went to Tampa Bay and how much information they had and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Cardinals are known for, you know, getting a lot out of pitchers. If, if a guy, if, if he can learn that much, if a pitcher can learn that much in Tampa Bay, how much can a hitter learn in right. Tampa Bay? And, you know, then that's, that's where you start asking the questions. And it's not necessarily about who you're keeping and, and who you're, it's just, it's the whole process. Where does it need to be revamped? And I think that's kind of what the Cardinals were trying to do with the whole Jeff Albert remodeling the organization. It just doesn't think like it's taken hold yet.
1: Yeah. And I wonder too, how effective something like that is going to be until you start significantly changing personnel. Mm -hmm. right? Um, There's only so much that you can change with guys who've been doing this for a decade. And maybe that's not uh, fair to Jeff Albert. Maybe that's a critique of the players who aren't more adaptable. Um, But it does start, you do start to scratch your head a little bit when you keep seeing guys go to different teams and say, oh, this is the best organization I've ever been around. I learned so much. They did so much for my game. And I can't be the only one that goes, wait, hold on. What, what do you mean by that? What are they doing that the Cardinals are not? Right. Because that's what I want to know that whatever that magic sauce is. Now, everybody's going to talk nice about the team that's employing them. Right. right. <laughs> um, but that's a, a pretty common thing right now to hear, whether it's Luke Voigt in, in New York or uh, Ryan Sheriff in, in Tampa Bay or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that kind of comment is not rare And it might not be for other players who move on to other organizations as well, but in light of how it appears in my brain to reflect on the Cardinals, I hear that every time and I go, huh, okay, well, if this is the best thing you've ever experienced, if these are the best instructors you've ever had, what are they doing that's so different? Because that seems to be where the magic is and that seems to be what the Cardinals are lacking.
0: Yeah, and and part of it is, for what I'm about to say, I guess is probably because they haven't brought a lot of people into the organization right. in a while. Mm-hmm. But it did seem to be, you know, for a while there, it was. St. Louis was a kind of a destination place yeah. for at least for at least a certain type of player, a veteran, a guy that had been around St. Louis, and you know, it's the fans. It was the organization being, um, you know, a top-notch organization overall. You know, it was a good place to play. I don't know if they had you know it was a good place to to grow right um and that may still be the case now you know back in the dave duncan years when they could take a guy off the scrap heap and turn him into a 20 game winner that's a different story but um you know as of late you know you do want to be that organization where people want to play right but it would be nice to have people come in and say i've learned stuff here yeah um and You know, we just haven't necessarily heard those stories. Doesn't mean they're not there, but because of the fact that they're doing so much home, you know, using so much homegrown talent that they these guys haven't had a chance to play somewhere else and know what know what they're missing or know what they're how good it is or whatever you want to look at it. Um, You know, that I don't know. I don't. I feel like that may be a little bit of a of an issue for the organization that they're not innovating enough and they're not using. Some of this information as well as they could. And we, you know, they continue to try to build the pitching lab in in Florida. I think it's close. I think it was close this year before the whole COVID thing. Again, that's what they wanted out of Jeff Alberts, who was bringing a lot of that, you know, uh, metrics and things of that nature into this organization. But whatever the case, it just doesn't feel like it's to the level that top organizations are at just right now.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to find a way to to say what I'm thinking, I don't know that it's going to be particularly eloquent, but there there has to be a difference. I think I've, I've talked about this before in terms of, um, you know, the translation of that data. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a difference in being a team that collects a lot of information and a team that does something valuable with it. Right. Right. So if I spend all of my time concerned about spin rate let's just take one thing right from the pitching side of things so that we're not even you know trying to analyze the hitting if i spent all my time talking about spin rate thinking about spin rate explaining spin rate focusing on that looking at that whatever it is if all of my focus is on this thing that is cool um i mean i've been to some of these places where they have all of their their technology set up and i've seen it firsthand i've watched the process of how some of this technology works whether it's you know the trackman stuff or whatever there's a couple of different versions of the same thing that generate this information right now and i've seen it and it's awesome and i left thinking that was fantastic and amazing and really cool but also totally overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so if I only focus on the fact that, oh, I have this information now, this is going to make me better. I have this information now, this is going to change my life. I have this information now, now I'm going to be an all star. And obviously, I'm I'm simplifying and I'm exaggerating a bit, but you get the point. Um, there has to be a difference in having that information. And knowing what to do with it. And I'm still not convinced that the Cardinals have tackled that last part in knowing what to do with it. Because it's not likely that especially the kind of players that you just mentioned like to play in St. Louis. The veterans, the guys who are a little more established, whatever. Those aren't necessarily the guys who like having all of that information thrown in their face. Right. Right. You have to figure out what it is about that spin rate that's going to help Adam Wainwright and not tell him, okay, well, your spin rate is this and it needs to be that. And if you do this and I do, do. No, just tell him, hey, move your finger a little bit. See what happens. Yeah. Right. That's all you have to do on the hitting side of things. I don't know how Jeff Albert is utilizing all of the data that he has, but the translation of it is still where to me and. Keep in mind, like my giant caveat is that this is very much from the outside looking in without any idea of what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Just hearing things like Ryan Sheriff has said, like Luke Voigt has said, like some other guys have said, and, and the fact that what the Cardinals are doing doesn't appear to be working. the The data revolution is great in terms of there's a lot you can learn about what someone is doing and how it generates results. But if you can't turn that into instruction that makes sense and that is repeatable, then it just gets in their head. I've talked to minor league players the last, well, you know, when minor league baseball was still a thing, (laughs) um, which I I joke, but that's actually very heartbreaking. But anyway, um, I've talked to players who have said, you know, I like having access to the information, but I don't like dwelling on it. I like having the information available. I like being able to go in and look at it when something's wrong, but I don't want it in front of my face all the time because then it's all I can think about. And I think Adam Wainwright kind of, I know I'm rambling here, but I think Adam Wainwright kind of made a similar point this year when he talked about the fact that they couldn't, they can't go in and watch video as much as they have in the past. Mm -hmm. And he had to kind of go back to when he would rely on, okay, what did it look, what did that hitter look like with that last pitch how did they flinch how did they swing what did they do on the curveball the last time around and he had to kind of go back to that feel and that understanding of what's happening in the game and how to sort of in real time analyze that as opposed to getting so overwhelmed by back to my example spin rate spin rate spin rate instead of huh Maybe if I add a little pressure on this curveball here, he'll swing out of his shoes again, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's gotta be that balance. My point in all of that is I still do not think the Cardinals have figured out that puzzle piece, right? The, the ability to, to have someone who understands all the data and then can say, huh? Okay. I see all that. Adam, here's what I want you to do. Matt Carpenter. Here's what I want you to do. And, then show them how to repeatedly do that thing.
0: Yeah. And they hired somebody that was supposed to help do that. Right. A couple of years I ago.
1: I don't think it's working. Yeah.
0: I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the the person's name and I don't remember the exact um, job title, but that was the idea that was supposed to take, some of this data and then help translate it into like game plans and stuff like that. And maybe that's been more on the managerial side. Maybe it's been less yeah. interaction with the players. I don't know, but
1: well, and so much of that is, is person to person too, right? It's mm-hmm. not like just hiring one person who can interpret data is necessarily going to be that magic sauce, right? It, it, it's going to be somebody who knows how to talk to Matt Carpenter, right? Somebody who knows how to talk to Harrison Bader and, knows what pieces of that they can put in front of them and what pieces of that are just going to freak them out. Um, and that's again, it's potentially an unfair criticism because we don't know what's going on in those conversations, but just in comparison to what we seem to from the outside in see other places, it seems like, you know, maybe that's a, that's a thing that should continue to be more of a focus until they figure it out. Cause they certainly don't have it figured out yet.
0: Yeah. Now, Again, there's also this idea that as we've talked about a little bit with Jeff Albert and things of that nature, that it is a procedure, by the way, that was major league game plan coach. It was Joey. Ah, there it is. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, and that, you know, reading that plan coach means like they're putting in plans. Um, there's also a major league internal player strategist. I don't know what that does, but sounds cool. Um,
1: if I just make up a title that sounds cool, do you think they'll hire me?
0: Probably. Actually, I think you just Sweet. show up and tell them that's who you are, and you're already. Oh,
1: not, just like make my own name right badge. Just
0: walk right in. <laughs> so
1: be like, guys, guys, don't worry about it. I'm I'm the data translation specialist.
0: Say, "There you go." Oh,
1: okay. Sounds um,
0: official. <clears throat> you know, we talked about this though a little bit before that with Jeff Albert, and I know that's that's kind of a focus that everybody's going to have because the offense has been so bad the last couple of years. Not to be confused when it was really bad, by John Mabry. Um, but there's this idea that Albert was going to turn it around. And we talked about how it really felt like it, the idea was to rebuild this system from the ground up, right? I mean, they got rid yeah. of minor league coaches, they got rid of guys like George Greer and Mark Podeska, who had had a lot of success, but were at a different philosophy. And in that regard, if that's the case, if that's what they're looking for, then that's not something that clicks in a year or two years or yeah. whatever. Um, that's the situation where basically, you know, and then that's basically where you teach your minor leaguers and they bring it up. Now, the problem is you have to then go out and get major league talent from other places to fill in until this minor <laughs> league philosophy actually you know translates into awesome players that you think are right. going to and that they haven't necessarily done yet. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, also don't know. And I'm glad it's not my job. I don't know when you say this is still working. We just have to give it more time versus right. this is never going to work. Um, this We're not getting the results that we thought we would. Um, Jeff Albert's contract is up at the end of this year. Um, I have not heard of any, extensions i don't believe so you know that could be something that we spend a little bit of time this offseason i mean if they let jeff albert goes and i would say that they weren't happy with what the results were on this or they think that somebody else can do a similar job and they can let albert go and maybe make the fans happy
1: yeah yeah it's man and i think you're right it's a it's a thing that takes more than a couple of years but it also takes different personnel and if you just kind of stick with the tried and true and expect it to be better just because they're better um we saw this year that yes the cardinals (laughs) made the postseason uh somehow but um it wasn't necessarily because they were a lot better than they were last year it was just the way that the the chips fell but there's going to continue to be that criticism of Jeff Albert, of the players, of the front office, and if they're committed to seeing through this this shift in philosophy, which may in fact be what is the the data translation that I was harping on for so long. Um, maybe it's there; it just hasn't clicked yet. Then you know they're going to just have to continue to endure the same criticism, which maybe doesn't affect them if they know what their plan is and they're willing to stick to it, but it's going to be a long couple of years if that's the case.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think ideally maybe you would take some of these guys like, and just for, just for example, even the guys like Bader and O'Neill and, you know, guys that are people that started learning their craft before this transition happened and may or may not be able to make the adjustment. And you, you know, Maybe you move them on and you get some stop gaps until the minor league talent that you're training up in the way you want to go is, is ready to make their, their debuts. But, you know, I don't think you can do that. I mean, the Cardinals, again, to tie back to to what we were talking about earlier, the Cardinals kind of need the O'Neill's and the Bader's and the Edmonds and the guys that are making minimum salaries and giving probably they're, they're producing more than their salaries are. Um, and they're going to need that because they're not going to have the money after this year to, or after 2020 and, and the loss of stuff and the fact that they don't know what 2021 is going to look like and can't plan for 162 season. Um, they just can't, they're not going to spend that money. And I and I don't know that I blame them too much, um, and so it, it kind of starts to look like 2021 is this holding treading water year until a lot of people come off the books and everybody in 2022 can be back in the stadiums, and you know maybe then the the, the pocket's open a little bit, but that's just in time probably for a strike, um, yeah. Just just in case you forgot that whole CBA uh, <sighs> tension thing that's you know going to come to head next year but let's I'm sure you wanted to think about that
1: yeah you know I mean we we have had plenty of positivity to think about this year so yeah it's, it's time I think I, we can handle it
0: and I mean this show has <laughs> been so cheery too so yeah yeah totally anyway, you know, <laughs> gotta level it out a little bit you know I just I don't know again I, I feel I understand the Cardinals are in a tough spot I understand that if they bring the same team back though, for next year, the odds of them making the playoffs are slimmer. And that's, especially if they go back to the, you know, 10 teams, I don't know. I don't know. The commissioner keeps talking and we keep booing him and he keeps talking, (laughs) but um, he's not getting the point. He obviously not. But you know, if they go to, more than ten teams will, you know, I don't know, but you know, ten teams right now. I mean, again, you can't really judge because this postseason hasn't even started yet, or the off season hasn't even started yet. But I, I can't. If the Cardinals are favored in the division next year, it's pretty much just by default because
1: yeah, because you, you have to pick somebody.
0: You have to pick somebody, <laughs> and. You know, I think it's going to be kind of that mix of some are going to pick the Cubs and some are going to the Cardinals, but that depends on, you know, who they lose this offseason. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a mess. And it's, uh, it's kind of, it's like you're saying, you, you don't want to be the team that's just getting along. Even if just getting along is, you know, 500 and better, you know. It yeah. would be nice to build a team. And again, I'm not... I'm not advocating for the, you know, be terrible and then be good and then be terrible. Mm -hmm. But you could do, you can be good consistently and be consistently, you know, well, it's the Dodgers. You can be the Dodgers. Yeah. You don't have to spend all that money, but you can still be the Dodgers.
1: Yeah. And I I think there's, there's something to, I mean, the Cardinals don't like to move major league talent Hmm. very often. Um, the Dodgers will move major league talent, so there's something to that strategy as well, right? Where it's like you have to give something to get something, and if your goal is to keep this core group of players together and try to get them to the postseason, then the Cardinals have done great at that. Um, if you don't want to break up the core group of players because you like them all, um, then sure, great, you've done a you've done an excellent job of that. Um, but if you want more than a postseason appearance, and you want to be able to maintain that success, you have to be willing to move those parts around. And look, that's not always super popular with fan bases either, especially one like the Cardinals that is so dedicated and so loyal and so defensive of certain players, not all all (laughs) players, unfortunately. But look, I've said on this podcast, I don't want Colton Wong to get traded, but if it meant that the Cardinals were going to be an exciting team because of a package deal with Colton Wong in it next season. Now, I mean, the flip side of that is I don't think trading Colton Wong makes the Cardinals better in very many circumstances, but nonetheless. (laughs) The point is, if they're going to move some stuff, if they're going to change some pieces, if they're going to get out of their own way in terms of kind of that loyalty to these players versus commitment to the championship thing. I don't know. I don't know what that balance is, but it's not one that the Cardinals have been willing to change the status quo on and the Dodgers have. So, you know, to come full circle, we're right back to where we started.
0: Yes. And and run longer than normal, which means we didn't even get into the gold glove discussions of (laughs) those that did and those that did not. And those that expressed why they did not,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um, but I guess that'll save us something for next week if we want. To, there you go. You know.
1: Listen, I will just say, to end on a positive note, um, if you are on Instagram, you need to follow Ashley Kelly,
0: which is Joe Sorry. Kelly's wife.
1: I was I was about to sneeze, so okay. I
0: paused. <laughs> I thought maybe I was supposed uh, to jump in there, and uh, <laughs> no,
1: no, Joe Kelly's wife, Ashley Nicole Kelly, on the Instagram because Joe Kelly's son. Is absolutely the mascot of the Dodgers team, and he's hilarious. And she keeps posting videos of him, one of which included a t shirt on this kid, Knox, that says, I get my pouty face from my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There Do you yourself go. a favor find Ashley Nicole Kelly on Instagram. You will thank me later. There you
0: go. We'll, <laughs> we will end on that. Upbeat note, um, because we haven't had a lot of them in this in this episode. <laughs> that I don't feel like so. Uh, Tara and I will be back with you maybe next week as the the World Series wraps up either Tuesday or Wednesday, um, and that kind of sets the off season calendar in motion. Everything, you know, uh, options and and people have to be notified uh, within five days of the World Series ending. So by this time next Sunday, we might have a little bit of activity in the Cardinal ranks. Um probably not much, but we'll see how it goes. So uh until next time, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night.
1: Hey Cardinals fans, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars, or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.